Please be seated. Welcome to Christ the King. We are in a sermon series on the King and his calling. We're looking at various things Jesus calls us to. Uh, this week, Jesus calls us to authenticity. Uh, and we're going to look at Jesus' call to authenticity by examining the opposite, which is hypocrisy. When, uh, in our first reading, when the Apostle Paul commends the younger protege Timothy, he commends the young pastor for his sincerity or authenticity. That same word there is anti-hypocrisy. So the opposite of authenticity is hypocrisy. We're going to look at Jesus' warning against hypocrisy, which shows up three times in our reading from this morning. Beware of hypocrisy. We're going to follow, follow along in the sermon notes, three points. I think the sermon notes are on page 10 or 11 of your leaflet. We're going to look at what they did, the hypocrites did. We're going to look at why they did it. We're going to look at finally what they became and conclude with a cautionary warning of how we can avoid being what they became, doing what they did. So let's look at what they did. Beware of the hypocrites who prayed fast and gave. Every religion has acts of piety. These are outward expressions of an inward virtue. So we express our thanks to God by our prayers. We thank God for our prayers and we, the reading is short and it, it doesn't include that beautiful prayer that we all know, the Lord's Prayer, the prayer that Darren referenced. Uh, every religion has expressions or piety, activities of piety that express inner virtue. So the virtue of uh, generosity is expressed by the act, pious act of giving. So three outward expressions, three pious acts that reflect three inner virtues. Further, all these pious acts, praying, fasting, and giving, these are common to every religion that I'm aware of. Maybe some of you are aware of religions that don't commend praying, fasting, and giving, but uh, Buddhism commends praying, fasting, and giving. Islam, Judaism, Christianity, these are all common pious practices. And in a religious culture, like Jesus' culture was a religious culture, these activities be, would be recognized as virtuous. Now, the culture that Jesus spoke to was a religious culture. The biggest buildings in the land were churches or temples. Uh, the most important people in the culture were religious people, the scribes and the Pharisees. Uh, and in that culture, these pious activities would be recognized as signs of virtue. Here's the catch. You and I no longer live in a religious culture. I'm not saying religion doesn't exist, it's just not dominant. What are the biggest buildings in, around us? They're certainly not churches. Who are the most important people? Well, I hate to say it, it's definitely not clergy. Uh, and in our secular culture, these pious activities are not really given the same credit. In other words, if you and I went and stood on the street corners and prayed, I do not think many people would walk by and say, wow, <laughs> look at him. Uh, there's someone that I want to be. So we could look at this passage, beware of practicing, praying, fasting, and giving in public and think, great. I don't pray very much. I don't fast at all. And I don't give very much. And I certainly don't do these things in public. I guess I'm off the hook. That would be the wrong conclusion. Because even though we are no longer religious 
culture, capital R, does not mean that we are, have, have just forfeited all religion. I quote in your sermon notes something from David Zoll, who wrote a book entitled Seculosity. He writes this, we may be sleeping in on Sunday mornings in greater numbers, but we have never been more pious. Religious observances, which by, by which he means pious practices, haven't faded a pace of secularization so much as they have migrated, and we have the anxiety to prove it. So what he's saying is that religious practices and religion has faded. Religion, capital R, God, heaven, hell, Jesus, salvation. Religion with a capital R has faded. And therefore, no one displays their piety and their virtue by praying, fasting, and giving. That does not mean that no one expresses their piety. No, it's not praying, fasting, and giving that shows our virtue. It is eating cage-free, hormone-free, non-GMO, sustainably sourced, carbon-neutral chicken. That is our expressions of our piety. We don't pray to look virtuous, but don't think for a moment we've given up caring about looking virtuous. David Zoll's book, Seculosity, begins with a conversation with a friend who is moving. The friend says, I'll give you one guess, one clue to guess where I'm moving. I'm, go I'm moving to the place that is where no one's religious, but everyone is super religious. The place that she is moving to? San Francisco. What do they, they do? Outward signs of piety. Now, why do they do it? They do it to be seen. Verse 1, and being seen, being praised. That is why they practice their virtue for others to see. Now, show of hands, how many are familiar with the phrase virtue signaling? Virtue signaling is a relatively new word. It showed up in about 2010, began to make it into academic journals around 2015, and here's a Google definition. It's become a little bit a part of common parlance. Virtue signaling is this, the action or practice of publicly expressing opinions or sentiments intended to demonstrate one's good character or the moral correctness of one's position on a particular issue. Intended to demonstrate for others to see your good character, your good, it's virtue signaling. Now that is a new word, but it is a very old practice. That is exactly what the hypocrites are doing in Jesus' day. They are signaling their virtue through their praying, through their fasting, and their giving. Now let me give you one example of virtue signaling. I've tried to pick, pick the most innocuous one I could think of, but even so, I bet there may be some who take offense. Please hold off your, uh, please, please bear with me till I get to the end. This is, anybody? What kind of straw? A reusable plastic silicon straw. It's taken from my family, so all my critique is very much uh, self-deprecating. Why do we have plastic reusable straws? Which, of all the inventions of mankind, I have to say this is, has to be one of the worst. Because every, whatever you drink first is what you're going to drink from that point forward. Everything tastes like the first sip. Why? reusable straws. It happened, I think, about a year ago. First one store gave up straws, uh, then this spread to other stores, and pretty soon no stores offered straws. 
Um, the only straws that you could find were paper straws, which don't work. And uh, pretty soon there was just an embargo on paper straw or on straws. And reusable straws came in vogue. Why? The stated reason was because of marine life, especially sea turtles. Apparently, sea turtles can choke or ingest in plastic straws. And out of care for the environment, there was an embargo and a ban on straws. I want to be very clear. I am not saying that we should be cavalier about the loss of animal life. I'm not suggesting that environmental stewardship is an option for some Christians and not for all. No, we'll hear next week. Responsibility is one of God's call to us. I'm not saying that environmental care is not important. What I am suggesting is what I know is that one year ago, I did not think twice about sea turtles. And I guarantee 99% of the stores that have banned straws do not think about sea turtles either. Why do they have paper straws? Why do we have singularly unusable, reusable straws? Because I want you to think that we're that type of family, and you shop at those type of stores. It's virtue signaling. That's exactly what it is. It's done in public for others to see so that you will think that I am okay. Just because capital R religion has faded, God, heaven, and hell, and the religious practices associated with that have faded in the background, don't think for a minute that we are less religious or the practices of piety no longer exist. They have simply shifted. Our religiosity has been replaced with our seculosity, which is the, the title of David Zoll's book. Now, that's what they did. That's why they did it. What did they become? They became hypocrites. The Pharisees, the religious leaders of that day who signaled their virtue through their praying and their fasting and their giving became hypocrites. And Jesus came about as close as he ever came to cussing when he spoke to the hypocrites. Some of the most scathing critique of, uh, of the entire Bible was towards the hypocrites. I just want to mention two reasons why we should be on our guard against hypocrisy. Number one, hypocrisy turns the world into a stage. You may know this, the original word hypocrite was applied to actors. So anyone who was on the stage was a hypocrite. Now that word took on a negative meaning and it came to imply anyone who put on an act, put on a show, someone who wore a mask for others to see, someone who was inauthentic. That word theathenai, which is in verse one, they do this in order to be seen. That Greek word to be seen comes from the verb theathenai, by which we get the word theater. For the hypocrite, the whole world is a stage. His actions are done for the approval of others. And here is why Jesus was so critical of hypocrites. 
because the person who sounds the trumpet while he gives his alms to the poor is really not concerned with the poor. <laughs> there's no empathy, there's no concern. The poor for him is just a stage prop, just like a sea turtle is a stage prop today. Jesus hated hypocrisy because it turned, it removed all virtue from virtuous acts and turned the recipients of care into simply a stage prop. Number one reason Jesus hated hypocrisy. Number two reason Jesus hated hypocrisy and why we should hate hypocrisy, hypocrisy always turns cruel. I quote T.S. Eliot who said, Half of the harm done in this world is due to people who want to feel important, who want to signal their virtue. Another personal story. Several years ago, my family was on vacation out west and we slept in a teepee. I use the word sleep um, loosely. Mainly, we just laid on the cold, hard ground and waited for the morning to come. A few months later, one of my children was in elementary school class, and the class subject was on Native American culture. During this class, this child said they tried to sleep in a teepee and it was awful, which sounds like a fairly innocuous statement. However, the response from the class was not innocuous the response was strong. There was a general outcry from the class because in this class, full and uncritical celebration of Native American culture was a signal of virtue. And anyone who said anything different, woe to them. I asked this child what they did in response. They said, well, I just went home and cried. Now, I'm not looking for your sympathy. Neither is this child, which is going to remain nameless. Uh, and perhaps this child could have been a little bit more uh, understanding, uh, empathetic, but I highlight this in order for us to appreciate the potential for cruelty for the virtue signalers of our day. What? You don't pray fast or, oh my gosh. What? You don't, you don't use plastic? Are you kidding me? Hypocrisy always turns into cruelty. Those who signal their virtue always have scorn for those who do not signal their virtue in the same way. So that is what they became, hypocrites. And so what is our conclusion? I think we need to develop a healthy fear for hypocrisy. All the, our, our, our world, our culture is full of social issues and there are important social issues. Our world and our culture is also full of particular signals that indicate which side you are on and you and I should just be cautious of jumping on the bandwagon of any particular social, uh, social uh, virtue signal. I used to think that this passage was commending humility, don't pray in public, don't fast in public. I think it's commending your courage. Be a little courageous. You want to care for the environment? Don't do what everyone else is doing. Do it quietly. Pick up trash when no one is looking. And your heavenly Father who sees in secret will reward you in secret. And 
the final analysis, the difference between hypocrisy and authenticity lies a difference of audience. The hypocrites perform for others, for others to be seen, to seen by others, and then therefore to be praised by others. Their desire for approval leads to hypocrisy. Our desire for approval from our Father in heaven should lead to authenticity. So you and I have a simple choice. Either you and I can keep our head on a swivel looking for the next sign of virtue that we need to show and display in order to get the approval from others that you are good enough, responsible enough, eco-friendly enough, or whatever enough, but get ready to change because the virtue signals of today are not going to be the virtue signals of tomorrow and the virtue signals of yesterday, praying, fasting, and giving are not the virtue signals of today. So get ready to change. Or you and I can remember that our Heavenly Father is watching not in some sort of policeman sort of way, but your heavenly father who loves you, who knows you, who cares for you, who sent his son to die for you. And we can value his praise. You and I are always tempted to act for the, the applause of others. And we do it by signaling our virtue. Now those signals have changed, but the desire for approval has not. Acting for the applause of others will always lead to hypocrisy. Acting for the approval of God will lead to authenticity. So beware of practicing your righteousness before others for others to see. Instead, Jesus calls you to authenticity.